Hello, my name is Liam Bird, and I am the fan liaison officer at Level Playing Field, and this is the Level Playing Field podcast, a podcast that brings a variety of voices from the sporting world to discuss disability subject matters regarding sport. This month, we bring you a roundtable discussion between several football fans to discuss the possibility of COVID passports and certificates and what the return of fans might look like. We also touch on this month's actions from the DCMS to originally exclude and then strongly advise extremely clinically vulnerable people to not attend any of the government-led event research programs. So who do we have on the virtual roundtable? Well, we have Mark Davies, the Fulham Disabled Supporters Association chair, also known as Fulham DSA. We have Paul Lerner, who is a member of the Wickham Wonders Supporters Trust. Amy Wilson joins us from CAFE, also known as the Centre for Access to Football in Europe. Alan Colley, a committee member at Leeds United Disabled Organisation, also known as Ludo. And Christine Green, who is a supporter liaison officer, also known as an SLO at Grimsby Town, as well as the chair of Grimsby Town Supporters Trust. So before we start, I want to flag up a issue that we have during recording. Because we do these chats via the internet, some of the participants' audio sometimes breaks up. I can only apologise in advance for that, but it's the time that we live in. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode 6 of the Level Playing Field podcast. I am now joined in the way that it is nowadays via Zoom with a collection of fantastic faces. I will go around the Zoom call in a second and get them to introduce themselves. But the reason we've joined today to have a chat is uh, it's kind of been brought about by the government-led events uh, that are happening right now and um, also the possibility of covid passports and what it might look like for the rest of us to go and attend live sport so before we start digging into this properly i'm going to call out your name and if you can just kind of announce who you are and uh what dsa uh, or trust or organization you're representing so just because you're my top left mark i'm coming to you first hello my name's mark davis i'm the chairperson of the fulham dsa thank you mark and then next i've got alan my name is alan i'm from leeds united disabled organization otherwise known as Ludo. I'm on the committee of that. Thank you, Alan. Amy? Hi, I'm Amy. I work for CAFE, which is the Centre for Access to Football in Europe, and I am a family liaison and access officer. Thank you, Amy. Uh, Christine? Hi, my name's Christine. I'm current chair of the Mariners Trust and also the supporters liaison officer for Grimsby Town. Thank you, Christine. And Peter? Hello there, I'm Peter. I'm a trust director of Wickham Wanderers Trust, and we've recently formed, within the last two or three weeks, the Wickham Wanderers Disabled Supporters Association, which we've been privileged to bring together. Thank you for everyone for taking the time to talk to me, and uh, no doubt we're going to get into a very complex and diverse topic, that is vaccine passports and how this might affect the return of fans as we look into the new season, as it's coming thick and fast. But I think it's important that we deal with facts, so uh, at the time of recording... The government has not announced a COVID passport, but has stated that they are exploring the idea. So some of the things we will be discussing are kind of what ifs, really. Uh, As we record, as well as I mentioned at the beginning, we have seen the start of the first government-led events, research projects for sporting events uh, with fans in attendance with the World Snooker Championship, the FA semi-finals, as well as this weekend coming, the Carabao Cup final with Tottenham and Man City, where 4,000 fans, as well as the upcoming FA Cup final, where 21,000 fans might possibly attend. All fans have been asked to provide 
that they have a negative test 24 hours prior, then another rapid test before entering, and then another test five days after the event. Uh, I hope you like tests. And sadly, fans under 18 cannot attend and clinically extremely vulnerable or pregnant people have been told not to apply for tickets. Before I move on to the questions, I'd like to state that Level Playing Field have put out several statements condemning this discrimination action against the clinically extremely vulnerable people. We recognize that not all disabled people are clinically extremely vulnerable, but some are. So let's get started there. What were your initial thoughts when you heard about the DCMS guidance for ticketing? for events research program. Mark? The first, one of the first things that, I, that came to my mind was that it's indicative, potentially, that it's about the people who are vulnerable and, and other groups that are being excluded are problems that will be dealt with at a later date. Whether that means that, that those people are seen as the problem, that, that might be slightly overstating it, but I just think that they're, they're pushing it down the road Possibly with the plan of addressing it later on, but you know the way things where things happen, you know, events take take over, and it, and it, there's a danger it never gets addressed. I could be wrong. I just thought they've missed an opportunity, and it shows there, there will be those who argue that it shows actually fundamentally what their approach to let's say vulnerable but not you know vulnerable and disabled supporters and and how, what their attitude to access actually really is. Amy, as like an organisation that obviously is looking at football across Europe, were you surprised that the DCMS decided to go this way? From a, a professional point of view, yes, it was. We were hoping that this wouldn't be the case. Um, as from a personal perspective, as a disabled person, I'm not actually surprised by it. I think it's quite reflective of maybe how society in some way sees disabled people to class them all as all of us as extremely clinically vulnerable when that's not the case at all. But from a footballing perspective across Europe, it doesn't seem to be quite reflective of situations across um, other countries where fans have been back and it seems to be quite an open-minded policy to allow the person themselves to make a decision on whether they feel it's safe for them to return, whether they want to return. As somebody who lives in Brent, I was able to go to the test event yesterday and um, I can safely say I was the only wheelchair user at the stadium. Oh, so there was no, there was no one else at the, at, the, at the game? No, none at all. It was clearly obvious that all the wheelchair user spaces were empty, apart from two that had television equipment. Yes, Alan, go ahead, mate. Well, I have both my vaccines, so I'm classed as clinically vulnerable. But if you actually look at me, nothing looks apparent to me whatsoever that I am clinically vulnerable. I don't see a reason why I shouldn't go to a football match or a steel cup match or whatever with other people involved. Why can't I go? I've been injected. I've had both injections. I suppose that's the issue with enforcing it, isn't it? You can't tell if someone's clinically extremely vulnerable. So let's say if you did apply for a ticket you got a ticket, you went to the game, no one's going to question you. You're just going to, you're going to do the process and go through. So it just seemed a bit upsetting that they decided that they wanted to kind of exclude a certain proportion of the country from, from attending live sport in a period where perhaps we've, we've gone through isolation. And the idea that we all love sport is that we're there to enjoy, uh, enjoy it as a collective, not as, not as individuals. And that's kind of, in my opinion... Um, what has happened with this. P, 
Peter, you put up your hand. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very confusing situation. And the more I'm listening to what colleagues here are saying, the more I'm becoming aware of the various discriminatory issues around here. So there are people who are vulnerable. There are people who are pregnant. There are people who just happen to have the sin of being under 18. In my view, and certainly in my experience in Wickham Wanderers, and it can't be the only club to be, to call itself a family club, what really makes the football experience a good experience is everybody comes along and enjoys it. And where I sit, there are people with disabilities. There's a little girl who is about two and a half years old. There are men, women, boys, girls. And it's the fact that everybody's together and enjoying it, which is good. If somebody suddenly is going to make rules which says, well, actually only half of you are fit to come and the rest of you don't even bother applying. That is a bit of a shame, isn't it, given given what we like to do, given the way that society is. So I'm worried. I mean, in the bigger picture, though, how important is it that we all do go back to watching football next next season? And, and what do you think as a fans, not, not thinking of it in, in disability and non-disabled, I mean, as a fan, how much do you think we're willing to sacrifice to be able to go into the stadium? Amy? Speaking from the cafe side of things, we've done uh, research with disabled fans across Europe and the overriding answer, sorry, that we got to um, questions around the impact of not being able to go to matches has just shown how important it is, particularly so for disabled people to go to matches it it can often be the only really fully accessible social event that many disabled people can go to um with having that taken away from them there's so many people told us it had a negative impact on their health uh both physical and mental they lost social interaction they they've lost contact with friends who they only ever really see when they're at the stadiums they've got nothing really to do to talk about because everything is focused around being at the match and being with fellow supporters and discussing the games in person with other supporters, not via maybe, you know, WhatsApp groups or things like that. That's not their thing. They want to be able to speak person to person with um, other supporters. So I think it has a huge impact on the lives of disabled supporters. Christine, I'm interested to know as an SLO, what feedback are you getting from all fans wanting to get back to Grimsby? I mean, is it a case of like they are just chomping at the bit to go back? They are chomping at the bit, absolutely, and completely ignoring our league position and where we will or won't be next season. Just being back at the football stadium, and it's not just about those 90 minutes. As Amy sort of talks around there, it's about the pre-match stuff. It's about the chat. It's about whether it's a pint or walking to the ground. And then coming out of the ground and, and having a, a moan or a, a real good conversation after, people are missing it massively. And I've also had conversations with people that don't particularly want the vaccine, and that's okay. But it may be taken out of individual clubs' hands in terms of whether they can then allow those fans into a ground. Um, that then puts them in a position, well, am I wanted? Do they? Am I wanted as a football fan? Do my club need my support? So there's there's a real... Not a tipping point, but there is sort of a potential, not a boiling point, but something that's going to come together that clubs are going to have to deal with and they're going to have to deal with it in the right way and communicate it in the right way to lots of different people that are going to be affected by however we go back next season. It's going to impact on somebody in some way. And it's how you communicate that blanket communication just can't be the way. My son 
doesn't leave the house when 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 he's not at school. The Easter holidays, he hasn't left the house. But if we'd have had football games, he would have left the house for football. It's the only time he leaves the house. But he's sixteen, so can he go to football games? Not currently. Would he be happy to go and wave any? sort of is there a waiver you can sign there's just so much information that oh, I feel that there's been so much information being chucked out here 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 there's these test games with this sort of bits and bobs going on there that don't match what that piece of information has been given there and nobody's really clear on what's going on and everybody's given an opinion that sometimes comes across as fact mm. and then it goes off into social media and then you're having to firefight stuff and it's difficult to give clear indication because we are working on data and the season doesn't start till august but we really need to start pinning down points and action plans of what things are going to look like and what that will mean for you as a fan we need to be able to communicate a bit more factually with people i think at some point mark you you had your hand up one thing i was thinking about is that at the start of next season there's going to be an awful lot for sport football supporters who rightly are going to want to go back to the games and and they're able-bodied supporters and they're being told oh you've got to have a vaccination uh, certificate before we can allow you back in. Go, yes, everyone should have one. You know, and they're not they're not going to be worried about it. They're just going to want to go. My concern uh, is that the idea of a vaccination certificate very quickly it just legitimises discrimination. I, I also understand that the you know the issue is that as the disabled community, which I don't don't really like that expression, if if we're seen as being barrier to the vaccination certificate, which in itself is stopping able-bodied supporters going back to football matches, that's that's going to make us very unpopular. So we need to kind of focus on what what it is that the vaccination certificate will solve and or is intended to solve and whether it actually will solve those issues. My personal view is that it won't because at what point do you decide, well, how many vaccinations is enough and who needs a booster and, and who's going to maintain all this? It, it's By that stage, everyone will have either had their own vaccination, or be subject to a degree of herd immunity, the way to solve the problem is to do very short-term testing before people attend. Paul, Wickham were owned by the Supporters Trust until 2019, so very, very recently. So I'm kind of going to lean on you with a bit of what if. If the Trust were still the sole owners of the club, what questions would you be asking governing bodies right now? What concerns would you have as a club about welcoming back fans and logistics and cost issues as well uh, that might be leaning on the club? That's a really good question. Um, I was a trust director when the football club was completely fan-owned and now it's 25% fan-owned and we have 75% very pleasant American investors who are doing the right things with the club. First thing I would say is that actually I don't think the club would be alive now if it was still fan-owned. Um, The club wasn't able to borrow money. It was a a desperate financial situation. It was being kept going by love and goodwill and some quite smart work on behalf of people who were very dedicated. But ultimately, you needed that investment. So I think it would have been one of the casualties. It would have been absolutely vital for alternative um, methods of funding to come into the club to give it any chance of keeping alive. I don't think we could have expected that from the government on the basis of poor football club, they need some money, we better give them some. But that the impact of that on the community, obviously, we would all understand. And we see when clubs like Bury have effectively disappeared from the face of the earth. We, I suppose, would be asking central government the same sort of questions that musicians and actors and all sorts of other people are asking, which is, do you actually want us? 
is it's important in terms of your your overview, your look at how the country should operate. Is mass attendance, well-organised sport useful? Are live performances of music and plays and things useful? If not, let them go, but be answerable for that. Because that's quite a, quite a big question, isn't it? I suppose we'd be saying, what are the sources of finance? We'd be pushing very hard for some of the huge amounts of money from the from the Premier League to come down to, to us mere single-season championship club. The, the future would not have been good, and we're very thankful that the American investment was signed and sealed about two weeks before lockdown started. That, the, that none of that was deliberate. It just happened that way. But um, it's it's worked. It, it's worked well for us. I'm pleased to say. Alan and Mark, on, in regards to the DSA's kind of role in this now, how how do you go about working with a club that? kind of what Christina's touched touched on like clubs are kind of up in the air not really fully aware of what's going on there's a lot of rumors going around how do you make sure that DSAs are working with their club to try and bring about a good solution to a very very difficult problem at the moment um, I'm going to come to you first Alan well we should say that because we've actually organized a meeting with the club uh, I think it's in about two weeks time I think it is uh, <clears throat> with the ground safety officer the ticket officer we've got lots, lots of questions to ask I hope they didn't give us an answer. I mean, realistically, though, Alan, do you think they're going to have the answers that you're going to ask them? Um, well, unless we can suggest the answers to give them. Um, obviously, they can have initial control. Uh, they can have to say, yes, you can do that, or no, you, it's impossible to do that. Um, we can say, well, why can't you do it that way, Al? or whatever. We're all going to have to come and say, round the table and say, let's put all these together and see what happens. We've got the point that they're actually going to have a work meeting with us. So that's, that's, the, that's important. I, I think, Mark, with, on the day that we're talking, the European Super League has, bomb has dropped. And I think the thing that's come out of this is like the fans' voice not being heard. How, how do you make sure that the Fulham disabled supporters' fans are being heard, their voices are being heard? Strangely enough, we, uh, we're just about this week to send out a survey, uh, a very short survey, to, to our members to say, asking them simple questions like, are you planning on going back? And if you are planning on going back, what do you want to see, you know, the club doing? What are the, what are the, the things that must be in place before you, before you go back? Whether you plan on going back now or partway through the season after a few games or whether you can take the whole season off. And if, and if supporters aren't going to go back, uh, we're trying to find out what the reasons are. Some of those might be uh, medical reasons. Some of them might be financial reasons. Um, so that what we're trying to do is create, uh, come up with a picture that we can take to the club at our next meeting in about four weeks' time. As, as Alan said, we'll have lots of questions, but we also know that the club, all the clubs, are going to be waiting for the, the answers from government if not for no other reason than things, things change very quickly. But I think it's useful for the role of a DSA to be able to go to the club and say, give them a picture of of what it is that supporters with disabilities, either season ticket holders or match by match supporters, what they what they think, what it is they want to see. Um, you know, the clubs can only can only respond to that if they actually know what it is that that supporters need. And I, I think that's an important role for a DSA. Alan, just being corrected, it hasn't been arranged as yet. It's been asked for. Uh, we're just waiting to see what they're coming back with. We've asked for a week for fortnight's time. Um, so, I mean, we've kind of touched on that the, the, the measures at the moment being spoke about are either proof of person 
being vaccinated, proof of negative test or proof that a person has had the virus before, so uh, immunity. And the question that springs to my mind when I hear that is it, it sounds a bit costly. I mean, what's going on in Wembley? I mean, Amy, you can kind of touch on this a little bit. From from what I read was test before, test when you got there and then test after you leave. Did that come with your ticket? Was that the idea that everything came through the ticket, you didn't pay for anything? Yes, so it was you had to take a test, uh, at home test uh, up to uh, three days before the game and then you needed to have a test um, from 24 hours ahead of the game which was the lateral flow test. So you had to go to sites in and around Wembley to do that too. Um, we did ours yesterday morning. As it turned out, my brothers didn't work, so he had to go back again to me and get another test, much to his delight, um, and get, an, uh, get that then. Thankfully, we both got the negative one, and then we have to have another at-home test um, to be done on Friday, five days after the game. Everything is free, um, but it was part of what you signed up for when you said that you wished to attend the game and we're allocated a ticket. You to get the ticket, you, you had to agree to to do these um, tests. You had to show the test results via your um, mobile device, or so whether you, you had them on text message or email, and um, before you got through the, to the next stage of the ticket, scanning your tickets and things like that at the stadium yesterday, you had to show your proof of negative tests, but both tests as well. So call me cynical. I can't see the government funding that for the football league. So, Christine. Lower league clubs like Grimsby, with a stadium that's 9,000, let's say you have a full house, you're going to have to go through that process. Is it going to be the case where that's lower league clubs just can't afford it? Can't afford it, don't have the capacity to do it, don't have the staff to do it. I suppose if you're looking at a test event, you're testing a process that you're thinking about using. So there's obviously a thought process that they are thinking of having two tests before and a test after. So that's difficult enough as it is and a pain in the backside enough as it is. And as you start opening it out to seven and a half thousand people, they're not all local to the stadium. They're not all local to the area. So if we've got people down in London, are we saying that they cannot travel, but actually they've got legitimate, if they've got a, a certificate or they're doing their tests, can you refuse them? Can they have their test down in London? I think it's another process that, has it been thought through? Or as somebody else has said, it's a process that shows that they are thinking about something and are doing something, but doesn't feel completely logical and completely workable outside of the sphere of a massive Wembley Stadium and football clubs with lots of money spare, because we certainly haven't. And there are other clubs within and around us that absolutely haven't either. I just can't see how that's feasible on a, a financial and time scale. I don't see how that's gonna how that's gonna work. I'm guessing the same is is for you, at P, uh, Peter, at Wickham as well. I, I'm going to presume like costs. I mean, I well, I think when people think about football, especially people who don't support lower league, they instantly think Premier League. And you touched on it before of oh yeah, funny uh, the government think money flows through football like like water through the Thames like it's just not the case that's that's right I mean I sympathize very much with what Christine was saying because I think our situation is the same although for this season we're a championship club 
our capacity is less than 10,000. But getting those people into the stadium, we've only got, if anybody's ever been to our ground, there's only one entrance. There's, an, there's, there's a long industrial estate road and then the stadium's at the end. When you get there, it's a lovely stadium, but it's a bit of a chore to get to it. I was actually at the stadium a couple of weeks ago because we had the launch of our DSA and we had a very socially distanced walk stroke ride around the football ground. So we had about... 20, 25, 30 people with various disabilities and various club officials. On the same day, the stadium was being used as a vaccine centre, which is great for the club, gets people in there. But the queues were right down the road. It was like a very busy match day. And we were just 20, 30 people trying to get in amongst people who trying to go for their vaccinations. I hate to think of the bureaucracy and time and queues and traffic and general angst and aggro for getting 9,000 capacity into that ground. It, it, it wouldn't be popular with anybody. It wouldn't be popular with local residents. It wouldn't be popular with anybody who was stuck in the queue. But I'm sure a few of the sponsors will be able to get in there very quickly and have a very nice day. It's that sort of division that we have to look at all the time, making it fair and equitable for everybody. Amy, COVID has obviously hit Europe. I know I know we've, we've, we've left it, but it's still there. Okay. I, I mean... <laughs> Are there any examples of how European football has opened back up to fans that we back in Blighty can probably learn from? It's been a, a very slow process, I'd say, across Europe. Obviously, some countries haven't been back at all. Quite a few did, but for literally one or two matches. Uh, the best example at the moment is Russia. They've been back since probably autumn time and are still back um, now and they have been uh, really good in communicating all the policies that are in place to the disabled supporters so they know what to face when they go into the stadium knowing about the one-way systems that may be in place or the health and safety measures that they need to follow within the stadium uh, one of the things that Russia do is they all have to wear like the medical gloves before going into the stadium and Jordan um, the match itself would say um, Christine's obviously approached it a little bit, but the communication of information is key for disabled supporters, especially when you think so many haven't been to a stadium looking now, what, 12, 15 months could be longer if fans aren't going to be back this season and it will be next season. That's over 18 months of maybe not even really leaving their the house. So the, there is there's a nervousness that we've been told of from fans who have returned across Europe that for that first game, although they were desperate to get back to the stadium and to be part of a crowd again and see the team and support the team from the stadium and not on television or listening to commentary on radio. There was quite a few disabled fans who did say they, they felt nervous. They just didn't know what to expect. And um, I think the clubs that have really been proactive through their DAOs and through their DSAs in getting information out to fans know maybe one lift in one stand is working, but the other lift at the other end of the stand is the one to use. So people just have that extra bit of security, comfort blanket maybe, of knowing which entrances to go to straight away without having to wander around and trying to find students who can direct them and things like that. Um, that's been, I would say, something that clubs in this country should take on board is the definite um, keep your disabled supporters as informed as possible. We, we've all spoken about the possible 
I don't think drawbacks is the right word, regarding uh, COVID passports or certificates. But I'm kind of interested, as an individual, do, do you think it would give you the added confidence to going to a game? I'll leave that for anyone who wants to jump in on that. Mark, go for it. From my limited understanding of the medical situation, no, it wouldn't. Because if someone's been vaccinated, they can still be they can still be carrying, they can still be infectious. All the vaccination will do is reduce the severity of any disease that or symptoms that you would have. So if someone's been vaccinated, they can still be infectious. If someone's been tested, that's very short term. That's you tested before the game and tested after the game. If you test it, that that shows whether they were infectious or not. And you can you know, the, the tests aren't perfect. I know that, but in that situation, I would I would place a lot more confidence about going to a ground if I knew that a testing regime was in place. Not that everyone was tested, but that that was where the focus was. If the, if the focus is too much on vaccine, the problem with the vaccination certificate is. It's, it's frankly, it's cheap and it's easy because once you've had your vaccination, there you go, you get a certificate. Yeah, that's that's the last that the government or whoever needs to needs to do anything in terms of uh, any contact with that person. As 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 the clubs have said, you know, testing is is an ongoing match by match um, effort. But in terms, from my own personal point of view, in terms of my confidence. That's what will give me the highest degree of confidence is the testing. Amy? From my personal experience, as I say, being disabled myself, I understand why people may be a bit hesitant about having to prove that they've had the vaccination uh, to get not only into football, but to concerts, um, you know, cinemas, pubs, any entertainment kinds of venues. But I think when I've thought about this, it probably wouldn't bother me as much to have to prove uh, that I've been fully vaccinated because quite often to go to social events and entertainment events, I have to prove um, my disability anyway in order to be able to get an accessibility ticket. While that doesn't mean it's right, it's just become a kind of maybe like second nature process for me that I'm used to being questioned and used to being asked to prove something. In this case, I'm a wheelchair user. So to be asked to prove whether I've got had uh, one or two vaccines depending on when these may come in it wouldn't I don't think affect me too much well I don't agree with the, being asked to prove disability uh, at times I, I I think it I don't have that hesitancy that some people do have of evasion of privacy and things like that because I'm so used to doing that on a weekly daily basis when going to say other events that to enable me to get the the services that I need, I have to prove disability. So proven vaccination wouldn't be an issue for me. Uh, yep, Peter. In answer to your question, Liam, my initial reaction to it was yes, I do feel confident because I've been vaccinated twice, and why shouldn't I? And then Mark brought me up with a halt because, of course, yeah, why shouldn't I feel confident? But none of you know if we were in the room together that I'm not carrying some infection to the last place that I was at, which was actually a Halfords car shop an hour ago. I didn't pick something up from the guy who served me or the woman who was standing next to me, and I could bring it in and infect you lot without having experienced it myself. So my confidence is a selfish sort of confidence, and I think Mark has brought me back to reality. Um, I think I'd want 
a lot more factual information. When you started, Liam, you said we must talk about facts, not about things that we think might be happening or quotes from social media. And I think we need to go back to the facts and say, is this safe? Is this right? If not, what do we need to do to make it right and listen? So kind of, let's kind of touch on that then. So away from COVID passports and testing, what other precautions would you like to see in place before fans return? Alan, you're smiling. I don't know if that's because you got a cheeky answer. I, I was thinking that, uh, yeah, I was in a, s- a store this morning um, that's having a closing down sale. So I actually thought it was actually busier than it probably would normally have been on a weekday. Uh, weekend, yes, it would probably have been busy, but it's having a closing down sale and just. 30% off everything, it says. And I thought, yeah, but it's very busy in here. And I thought, is there, is there anybody going to be carrying it? I quite regularly, it's using my hands, clean up with old stuff. Uh, I got my mask on. And I noticed that everybody in that shop, including the assistants, were all wearing masks. Now, everybody, there wasn't, I can go into a local supermarket and I can see people with no masks. But this store, no, everybody got masks on. Uh, so if that helps to say that everyone goes to a football match or look at a match or any close place there, if they're all wearing masks, then are we going to be all right? Mark? Yeah, I know we, we, we are, we've we been encouraged to talk about facts and the way things are, one, but one of my concerns is that currently with the roadmap, uh, as of, I think, towards the end of June, that the plan is to remove all restrictions. So... At the start of next season, in theory, that means that, that uh, face masks, uh, social distancing, those sort of things will be, well, as it stands at the moment, they're not going to be in place. Now, that, if that's changed, then fine. But we have to be ready, I suppose, for the idea that face masks will become voluntary. How do clubs plan on responding to uh, enforcing the wearing of face masks? trying to get too political, there is a danger that what happens is the government shoves it down, down onto the responsibility of the clubs and other venues to actually do the enforcement of, of, uh, of these kind of safety measures. Final question, though, I suppose, before we wrap up, and that's kind of like a neat way to, to, to end it. Next season, how do we see it playing out? Do, do we see fans back in full, masks off, vaccine is 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 a go people can go into the ground and we can all enjoy football or do we still see restrictions in place masks in place or even fans not being in attendance i know that's the big question i'm asking you to look into the future and i think this pandemic has shown that we can't do that but gut feeling what we what we going with i'm going to go with christine first because you had your mic off <laughs> i was already there when i um i think we'll be back and I think we will still be under some sort of restriction. What it is, I don't know. A few months is a long time, but I do I do not think we'll be back to 100% capacities come August. Mark? Yeah, mine was kind of, it was an open-ended question. Is it, it will show, I think, whether, whether people are wearing masks now because they want to or whether they're being told to. You know, if, like, by, let's say, August, when the season starts, if the wearing of mask is is not a requirement it's uh it's a suggestion let's see how many people are wearing them then i don't amy 
I think it will be similar to how uh, the likes of Russia have done with their one, and so much it will start and with a percentage of capacity or uh, overall total number of fans in the stadium and incrementally increase. So I, I would like to think at some point in time during next season, there will be a full capacity with no restrictions in, but I don't think it's going to initially start like that come August. I think it may even be after Christmas before we get the full 100% capacities with no restrictions in. And I hope from both professional and personal points of view that clubs are uh, going to be listening to the disabled supporters and taking on board any concerns that they may raise with them about the return of disabled supporters and working with disabled fans, DSAs, to help alleviate those concerns and help to get disabled people back into the, the rightful place at stadiums and to be able to watch their teams in a live match day environment. Alan, do you expect to see Pantry Bamford miss a, a chance? Yeah, quite quite often, no doubt. <laughs> no, on a serious note, this, the government is having its vaccinations done for everybody by the end of July. So in theory... Adults, adults, not everyone, adults. It'd be adults. And people uh, up to 18, isn't it? Is, it? is it all right? Well, a maximum amount of people, all football supporters will not go into football matches unless they've been vaccinated, regardless of age. Peter? Yeah, well, I think we'll be back, but I don't think we'll be back to capacity. And what I think is that there are quite a few people out there who are very, very nervous about going back and being in crowds. I mean, the people I talk to, um, a lot of older people have just got very, very frightened of things like public transport and exposure to other people and even going around shops. People with disabilities, some will be absolutely fine, and some of them will have further issues around lack of confidence. And people with mental health issues, if anybody's had a mental health issue at the start of the lockdown, it's almost guaranteed to be worse now they've been through 15 months of lockdown because they've not been doing the things that they would like to do and that they're used to doing. So I think a lot of people who would really like to fill the stadiums will need an awful lot of help to get back in there. And that's a whole other subject, I think. How do we help those people get back? But um, some of us ought to start thinking about how we do it. Thank you so much. I'm going to go around and say your names now. Mark, Alan, Amy, Christine and Peter for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you. That's it for this week. If you would like to know more about any of the organisations or supporter groups that our panellists represent, please click on the link in the episode description of this podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. If you would like to know more about the work that Level Playing Field are doing, then head on over to www.levelplayingfield.org.uk or click the link in the episode description or click the episode description in this podcast. We will be back in a month's time when we'll be having another focus group talking about the ever-changing subject matter that is language. Until then, bye-bye.